Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best new Cormac McCarthy book to help me are two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, my name is Joe Holshue. Uh, Cormac McCarthy, Litheads, if you didn't know, released his first two books in 16 years. So I think something like 2005, he published The Road, which we've talked about on this show, and he's been quiet since. We kind of assumed somewhat retired since as he's... Dying. Yeah, dying. Was my assumption. He (laughs) He was busy dying. (laughs) Much Uh, like the cockroaches, Cormac McCarthy will outlast us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it turns out, though, he was actually writing two really good frickin' books. Um, this week, I did not bring a book. I will save that for next week, at which I talk about Stella Maris. Uh, but I believe Dr. Ian DeYoung brought one. Hello to Nick, and hello to Joe, and hello to the Litheads, and a big old hello again to Cormac McCarthy. Hi, Hi Cormac. Friend, wait, friend of the show, not a fan of the show, and hopefully show. never, hopefully never. Litheads, if you don't know, um, you can only graduate to fandom of the show once you pass right we have a lot of fans a lot of fans because oh, every most day. most everyone don't ask them yeah mm-hmm. um and, and we 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 at that point we're allowed to say without fear of of legal retribution that you are mm. a fan it's, it's not defamation if you're dead um yeah, defamation but he <laughs> that was bad he is not a fan of the show he is my favorite mccarthy ahead of Let's count him down. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin currently. McCarthy. Bad day for Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, as we record this, yeah. he is on his sixth loss to be Speaker of the House. Probably by the time that this episode Topical. comes out. He, yeah, I know. He'll be, um, he'll be. I don't know, something He might else. be a friend of the show. Might <laughs> be a friend of the show. Have you guys ever lost anything six times in a row? <laughs> <laughs> My keys. Um, I'm also, uh, I like Cormac better than Joseph McCarthy. Famous Ooh. Wisconsin senator. Oh, boy. This week I brought uh, McCarthy's new novel, The Passenger, which was published in October of 2022. So it's about, what, three months old by, by now? It's just a baby. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> If, if I had been prepared, I would have come with like a, a little thing, a little feature about how, about what has emerged since <laughs> the last McCarthy 16 book. years. Yeah. Oh. Like words or technology or fashion. I don't know. Ian, mm. maybe next week when we That's discuss the additional mm. next week. Oh man, Litheads next week is going to be so good. <laughs> you got to hear this. You can episode. just turn this off and just sit on your hands waiting for next week is one just option. Skip it. You know, well, this came up lately because my students are pretty into Avatar, the new Avatar movie right now. And I asked them how old <laughs> they were when the last Avatar movie came out. And they were basically were not they born. born? They, yeah, yeah, they were, they they were, were babies. not born. Yeah. They were babies when it came out. Okay. So these are supposed to be, I hear this Cormac guy's a good author. Um, He's also very depressing, um, but that's okay. My book kind of has a happy and ending. So, okay. Well, well, I guess spoiler. that leads me to my question, which is, are these books, do you have to, they came out basically at the same time, which mm-hmm. is double barrel shotgun approach. Yep. Love yep. it. Yep. Um, He's saving them up. He was saving them up. <laughs> yeah. We really should have released both episodes at the same time in mm. honor of him. But we, Boy, we maybe still next week. could. We still can't. I mean, that is an option. No, we need that content. Um, 
<laughs> my question is, are you supposed to read these in a particular order? So this is actually a question that that we kind of batted around um, has the, the three off, of us Sorry, today. has Cormac... Let me ask a better question. Has Cormac uh, commented on the order in which you're supposed to read this book? He doesn't book? comment on Jack. He, he's not he, a big he refuses commenter. To comment. <laughs> I guess the one thing I would say is, are we supposed to read them in a particular order? I would say that, well... He clearly had them both finished at the same time, and one of them came out first, right? Like, one of them was released two months before the other yeah. one, which makes me feel like, yeah, we are supposed to read them in a certain well, but, order. But it's weird. It's weird. And I think we're going to get into this because people let's kind get, of frame- Let's get into pe- this. People frame my book as, like, focused on one character, and Joe's book is focused on the other, mm-hmm. but they're really not. I've read both of them, and they're both really entangled. Cocky. And the material in Joe's book takes place chronologically before the majority of my book. Mm-hmm. But McCarthy publishes Passenger in October of 2022, and he doesn't publish Stella Maris until early December. So there's a month plus between them. And that's that's not like, you know, he was desperate for some money and the Passenger was like, supposed to be second but he had to just get it out to get that first check that first doesn't, big royalty check <laughs> sure. doesn't he know that it only takes a week to read a book <laughs> <laughs> you know i actually um, do like to imagine how these things came to be and this is just total you know i'm just shooting from the hip obviously here but obviously, i do kind of Joe like Boat. it feels to me like the passenger was the book like that was the book that cormac mccarthy was writing and then somewhere in there he came away with this like 150 page almost novella of this conversation between two characters because that's ultimately what mine is just tune in next right. week um and it, and it's just this thing where it's like hey i'm not stephen king i can't put a 150 page novella in the middle of a, a different novel so i'm gonna take this out but also it's really freaking good and it could probably stand on its own so how about a companion piece uh, Cormac has not commented, so I will speak on his behalf here. That is That'd be great. definitely, definitely how it happened. You heard it here first. Of course, he is welcome to do his like fourth interview ever uh, on yep. You Don't Know Lit whenever he would like. Wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be awesome? As, that'd, as be I was, a that'd be a, quite the get. Never say never, right? <laughs> Cormac, if you hear this. I'm, I'll email him. Is he yeah. on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw I saw in the in the one of the New York Times pieces about this. Um, he like categorically denied all requests for interviews, like preemptively for this year. He's just like, nope. Yeah. He published three things no. this year. The third thing he published was Stella Maris. The second thing he published was The Passenger. And the first thing he published was a preemptive denial of interview requests for no, his upcoming please, novels. No, stay with um, Ian, yeah. tell us. So you're you're going to tell us about your book called The Passenger? Passenger, yes. And this the is, Passenger? The Passenger. This should not be confused with the Iggy Pop song called The Passenger. They're okay, two I separate things. Because that one came out like... Cross off my follow-up question. Five years or like a hundred years ago, and this came out this just last year. So, Have you ever seen um, Iggy uh, Pop um, currently without a shirt on oh, singing? no. I bet you it's pretty concerning. Does he do it as much as he used to? It's like if they took... Uh, the T-1000 Terminator robot. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and then took all of the skin in the world uh, <laughs> of, of every other human that exists Great. and just yeah. draped it on this robot. Oh, God. Poor Iggy. <laughs> and then he, I mean, the, sing, the music is not good. Ian, do you want to guessing- tell me what the, uh, what the book is about? Yes. Cormac McCarthy begins his first book in 16 years with a climactic death. 
Alicia is the most important woman in our main character's life. She is his first and only love, and her loss shatters the main character, whose name is Bobby. The novel follows him as he keeps on living after losing his purpose and gives us glimpses along the way into why Alicia ended her own life. And that's that's seriously there's a ton of bonkers stuff in this book, which I would love to talk about. But that's like it's it's hard. The word that came to mind uh, as we were talking about this off air is imponderable. This book is kind of imponderable in terms of like what you say about it, because imponderable means difficult or impossible <laughs> to estimate or assess. And um, this book is is hard to pin down. Is this the end of the episode? <laughs> I have said everything I am able to say, Lidheads. Joe, 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 Joe just left, so I assume that we're done here. Walked out in high dudgeon. Yeah, uh, there is a plot. I mean, there is kind of a plot to this book. But before we go any further, I do need to clarify something because Joe will probably comment on this and and I need to comment on this too. Um, You remember I talked in my 30 second plot. You were probably listening to that. It was like 30 seconds ago. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. About this woman named Alicia who dies and about this guy named Bobby, how Bobby is in love with Alicia and Alicia is in love with Bobby. Yeah, you know that stuff? Bob and McGee. Bob McGee. Right. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, the two of them are definitely siblings. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And, and like, <laughs> yes, like romantic love. Right. Oh, so this is, this is what... Where um, in the South does this take place? Well, actually, a lot of it takes place in Louisiana. They're both yeah, in Tennessee. I love those states. <laughs> oh, God. There was a point um, in the book where I was like, oh, dang. Yeah, there is kind of a, kind of a, kind of a, a stereotype here. Um... Each one, so so this is, Joe used the word romantic. This is a romantic love. The two of them yearn for each other. Neither of them does anything about their yearning. No, but they really, Nick, they really want to. Oh, they like, desperately do. They really want to. Mm-hmm. But they, wow. but they don't. Um, is that a spoiler? <laughs> because I imagine the sexual tension is just a big draw to this book. <laughs> no, remember my book, my, my book begins with, with Alicia dying. So yeah. Yeah, don't but speak maybe, ill of the dead, Nick. I, well, well, Cormac is a big fan <laughs> of like doing the Tarantino thing. Maybe he was doing flashbacks. <laughs> um, sure. This is actually our trope of the week. We're well, starting off well, 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 well. incest. <laughs> <laughs> well, more broadly, forbidden love. Um, this is oh, okay. a pretty straight, a pretty straightforward trope. It says it right there on the tin. It's love. It's forbidden. I think the yeah. super interesting thing Do about this eat. this. Yeah, exactly. It's a, fr- a fruit that is not tasty. Mm. Um, the interesting thing about like Cormac choosing to do this, I, mean, I want to talk more about sort of characters and, and personal, the personal touch here. But the interesting thing about Cormac choosing to do this in this, in this pair of novels is that because it is forbidden and because the two of them are like, yeah, like we're not going to, we want to, but we're not going to because it's like that. The love becomes like emotional and psychological. So like you say sexual tension and there's not like, not really because for both of them, it, it's not going to happen, but they also like their, their emotions are really, really strong. And so this book is really invested. My book is really invested in psychology and uh, emotional, like being emotionally tangled up. And so this is kind of keeping the pressure, keeping it, keeping it. This has got to be an immediate turnoff for almost everybody. (laughs) 
right? Well, it's interesting because like your your main character, you Bobby, you uh, want sorry, hopefully everybody. <laughs> yeah, please, please don't sound off in the comments on this one. Um, you Bobby, Bobby is your main character. You meet him before you realize he's in love with his sister, and um, he seems like a pretty classic Cormac like main character. Mm-hmm. And then uh, not too far in, like you get you pick it up pretty quickly. You you figure out okay, this is a character who has a, a feature which you really can't be sympathetic to, and it's it feels a little bit like Cormac is sort of testing us. Like say, okay, how far will you identify with? I, I don't think he's quite as like depraved as the judge from Blood Meridian, yeah. but he's he's like this is this is a thing that you can't get over, and he's not like particularly racked by kind of an unforgivable character, right? Like. No, 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 no judgment there, but like it's like this deeply flawed kind of situation. That sounded really judgy. Well, this, is, but this is a thing that Cormac. But I guess you probably shouldn't have sex with your sister. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like Cormac, he does this right, like where it's like, hey, I'm going to give you a character, and this character is going to embody a lot of what's worst about humanity, right? Or, or not even the worst, although often yes, but like the most uncomfortable about humanity. It's like, hey, let me talk about human urges here like let me talk about human traits that we're super uncomfortable talking about and are pretty taboo and we get like over the top violence we get like good people doing awful things to survive in in books like the road um and here is i think it is pretty effective to be like hey here's this super like bobby western that's his name yep. right bobby yep. western i mean name a more american name than that he's like bobby western good old american boy super in love with his sister i have a question is this is this relationship um, um, explicitly consensual? Yeah. Yeah. Very much oh, so. Oh, okay. Hey, you know what? I'm into it. Go- That's awesome. Good <laughs> well, for this them. Is, <laughs> this is the thing. This is the weird thing. It's like, like I, as Joe was talking, I'm reflecting on the fact that like we are very okay and even sort of uncomfortably interested, like down with a lot of the unforgivable characters that, that McCarthy, yeah. McCarthy writes. Like, Mm-hmm. The judge is horrible in Blood right. Meridian, but also like there is a draw. There's a magnetism to right. him. Right. Like when I think of Blood Meridian, I want to go back and I want to read that last paragraph with the judge playing the fiddle and dancing. Like, cause he's horrible, but he's awesome. Or like if you think about No Country for Old Men, you don't think about Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, you should, but you think yeah. about Javier Bardem and Anton Chigurh and, and like his mm-hmm. sort of his, his, the his serial just, killer. Yeah. Like, yeah. He but but the thing is, we are more okay with kind of those those guys. Like we 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 think of them as deeply flawed, even irredeemable. But we're more okay being like, yeah, let's read this book with those guys. This is this is this is more kind of gross. Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's like um, <laughs> right. It's nasty. Well, but I think hey, can we move also past the more- incest conversation, or is this pretty much it? Just out of curiosity. Oh no, it's all I just, I know. incest. <laughs> That's the book, baby. I wanted to, I wanted to get past it quickly, but I think you guys are raising some interesting questions. Which there we go. Whatever. Yeah. So, um, the plot of this book, the plot of this book is super, <laughs> super strange. Bobby Western, as Joe notes, Bobby Western is a salvage diver. And he is working. We were introduced to him. He's working on a crashed plane in the ocean and there is a missing passenger. And Bobby sort of asks some questions about this missing passenger, kind of tries to follow this up. And so there's a whole government cover up which targets him and the other guy who is diving. The other guy who is diving sort of dies mysteriously. 
Um, Bobby keeps getting visits from Men in Black, basically. Um, Tommy Lee Jones again. But that element, yeah, I wish it were. It should be. Maybe, maybe if this is, turns into a movie, did you guys Tommy even Lee Jones get the joke? I would, I would, I would actually geek out pretty hard for that. Because Tommy Lee Jones um, was in the movie Men in Black, and he was also yeah, exactly. in No Country yeah. for Old we Men. Get, we, yeah, we get it. Yep. No, Making I it a play right. on words. I think. I think. Okay. All right. I think Just it's accurate. It sure. I think you're accurate for sure. Um, okay. The the thing with this the thing with this sort of like crashed plane, missing passenger, government cover up plot that doesn't really sort of take over. One of the reviews I read said this is more like kind of background. This is this is context more than. Bobby the is on the run deaky. from the government. Yes, he does. He does go on the run from the government. He does like end up sort of using cash and traveling across. Like he does. He does sort of the classic um, um, staying in motels and hiding out and surviving these sorts of things. But that's not really what the book wants to talk about. The book, the book wants to talk about him and his sort of wandering around because he had this purpose the love for his sister who is now dead and um he he doesn't have anything anymore he's not really suicidal he's just sort of like just sort of like stumbling through life and not not trying too hard to avoid being taken by the government the cops whoever it is but also not walking in walking in and turning himself in he's just sort of like right. things happen to him Ian, I'm going to have to ask you to get to the overt message very quickly. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's ever I don't think there's ever any overt message in Cormac McCarthy. Uh, I think Bobby is trying to deal like Bobby has a lot going on. Some of it is his own fault. Some of it is um, uh, unfortunate circumstances. Uh, oh, this is interesting. Are you reading the book right now? No, I'm thinking I'm talking it through with you guys. And I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like putting together a reading. Yeah, as it was a fresh read about it. I think he some he stumbles into the he stumbles into the pole plane situation and the missing passenger Mm -hmm. and the cover up. And this messes up his life big time. And this is something which is we can see beyond his control. But we also see that his relationship with his sister has messed up his life big time. And this is something we would say is within his control. But he would say. That's also beyond his control. So he sees himself as like this, maybe yeah. a victim of, of fate, though he would never put it like that. Whereas we see him as like, yeah, sure. You got screwed up, screwed over by that, that whole plane situation, but also you should have made better choices as far as who you fell in love with. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I want to talk about the personal element to this. That's, that's the closest thing we can get to an overt message here. I would say a lot of, and you guys can weigh in because you've both experienced some Cormac before. I would say a lot of McCarthy is, universal or impersonal is that fair to say i think he talks about things that are big is how i always think about his books like the themes and the ideas in it are very very big like it's like oh who is the judge in blood meridian uh maybe death maybe the devil maybe a vengeful god like and he's able to do that in his books in a way that doesn't read is like silly or over the top, which is like a magic power. Like if you saw that in a different book, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is a little heavy handed. Uh, but no, I think his themes are big. He pulls off big themes without being stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Without being in stupid. Just like us. 
It is. Uh, just, just which like is us. why, Lidheads, I want you to gather your torches and your pitchforks. As we have Cormac this, McCarthy joining us live for an interview right now. <laughs> I'm not Cormac, dead uh, yet. You learn which I'm captain. here for my first interview. <laughs> okay, this is a bad... He's never going to come on the show if you do that. Oh, well, my teeth um, fall out. Oh, I don't gracious. think we should anger yeah. Cormac McCarthy. What if Cormac McCarthy is himself a vengeful deity? So... Um, a lot of a lot of Cormac McCarthy feels universal. Unnamed characters, a lot of his characters just don't get named. They just don't have names. They're referred to as the kid or the judge or the man or yeah, the, boy the boy or yep. um in uh, all the pretty horses. It's he has a name, but it's it's kind of the boy. This book, the incest, has... the incestor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The worst professional wrestler. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Whereas a lot of McCarthy deals with kind of... Okay, I'm going to move on. A lot of McCarthy deals with grand sweeping conflicts, human against nature, human against God, human against the absence of God. But this book is different because it's about two people and their very specific psychological complexity. We're seeing Bobby coping or failing to cope with the reality of Alicia's death. We get a lot of Alicia in this book because there are flashbacks to her. Um, oh, there are her encounters with possibly, possibly spectral aliens or possibly mental illness. We get to see her dealing with aliens or mental illness. Um, there is plenty of big kind of impersonal stuff here. There, the government agencies are are on Bobby's tail, and Bobby and Alicia's dad helped Oppenheimer build the bomb and. A lawyer gives this huge long monologue about how the mafia did JFK and um, Bobby Kennedy. It's like there are big kind of sweeping things, universalities in this book, but it's really, really focused on one dude and kind of to a lesser extent on his sister. The personal turn is weird. I haven't read McCarthy's early stuff, but um, compared to like a lot of the stuff that he's written recently in the last 30 years this feels very out of character this feels very strange because he's so focused on here is not not a person who stands in for the whole world but more more specifically a person who can't like we don't want bobby and alicia to be humanity yeah well and i like if you just look at what he's written like when you think of cormac mccarthy i think of or i'm sorry when i think of cormac mccarthy i think of cowboys I think of apocalypse. I think of like man books. Like that's what I think of. Yeah. Like, and this book, I mean, it maybe has like a, like a personal apocalypse in it. Ooh, I don't, I don't, ooh, that's maybe a little ooh, strong. Right? Ooh, I love that. But like, uh, it, like it's, it's different violence. It's different. Mm, I don't know about cowboys. Ooh, just sounds refreshing. Here, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like it, it is t- so different from any other Cormac I've read. Uh, another cool, weird thing, a little, a little out of, of, of character for McCarthy here is um, the cast of zany characters. So Bobby yeah. hangs out with a lot of people from new Orleans, which I Googled. And apparently you call people from New Orleans New Orleanians, but that I don't that does, that's got to be wrong. I think New Orleaners. <laughs> you got to mush all the words together as well. It's New Orleans. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, there's probably Nar-less. some like some. I don't think Cajun is the right word because that's that's a kind Black of seasoning. Of gumbo. But, <laughs> oh boy <laughs> i think you call them jambalayans uh, <laughs> um, that would be a great sports team name 
<laughs> the Detroit the Jumbo Lions. The Jumbo, the Jumbo Lions. <laughs> that would be their mascot. Excellent. Yes. We're uh, hereby trademarking that. So um, Bobby hangs out with a bunch of people from New Orleans. He lives in New Orleans and, and he has this, this group of people who sort of people from the bar, people he's known for a while, um, co-workers and so forth. And honestly, this aspect of it reminds me of that book I brought a couple of months ago, several months ago, called A Confederacy of Dunces, where there's a, this oh. massive dude kind of bumbling around New Orleans, just just crashing into everything and being an idiot and being dreadful. And we somehow love him. <laughs> so there's there's these there's this element. And these people are constantly making great jokes, like really good wordplay. Stephen King just tweeted mm-hmm. one. Um, I saw it just before we got started. Um this is so this is he reminded me of this joke and it's not really a funny joke. It's sort of a clever joke, but this is the sort of thing that you can expect if you read this book. Here we go. A giraffe walks into a bar and says the highballs are on me. The high gal uh, like his nuts. Nick. Uh, so giraffes are tall. Yeah, yeah you got okay. it. I didn't know if it was a nuts joke or not. Yeah, it is. We should have yeah, saved that is. for the quote. <laughs> I don't think I want to. Um, so, so we've also got this this character, the kid who hangs out with Alicia. So each chapter begins with a section about Alicia, and she's being being visited by these this dude. His name is he calls himself the Thalidomide Kid, and he's. I think we're going to hear more about him next week, probably. But he's the sort of dude yeah. who's who's um, appearing to Alicia. Not maybe a, maybe a figment of her imagination. Maybe an imaginary friend, maybe a ghost, maybe an alien. It's possible. Like, it's possible he's an alien. Um, he's like kind right. of deformed, and he's a little person. Yeah. So, so and Nick, it, yeah, he's three foot three two, foot two. Nick, and instead of arms, he has flippers, uh, and he this. crosses them behind his back. He paces back and forth, and he's very fretful all this the time. This doesn't seem like useful information. <laughs> Well, but this is like, this, it's pr- it's pretty important in the book. Do you want me to read this book? This is the thing. This is like, this is like Cormac McCarthy meets Lewis Carroll. Like there is sort of a, a, an absurdity, yeah. a drollery, which is also it sounds like Twin un- Peaks. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. There's some definitely some yeah. David Lynch in there. It's it's just like it defies it defies description. And and you, you mentioned Ig, uh, um, Iggy Pop, Ignatius Pop at the beginning of the episode. Yes. I don't know if Ignatius is still making skin bot. <laughs> I don't know. If he's making his own make still making music, but a lot of older musicians well, just just play out. the hits. They play. Yeah. They play. Mm-hmm. They cover their own hits. And this is not McCarthy is not. He's not doing that. This is the last thing I want to say about this book. He's still opening up new doors. Yeah, it's not a victory lap, really, is it? Like, it's not it's not him being like, look, guys, I'm 90 years old. I, I need <laughs> some inheritance from my kids. <laughs> He's been working with last time we talked about him. We talked about the Santa Fe Institute, which is yeah. a group of and you'll probably get to these them some more next week, Joe. Um, mm-hmm. McCarthy is part of this institute. It's a think tank, a science think tank, science, philosophy, math. Um. He's done a lot of reading on quantum mechanics and this book as a result, like shows the influence of these nerds. He's been hanging out, oh, hanging out no. with a bunch of nerds. nerds and the book is way more sciencey and more mathematical and philosophical and analytical than anything else I've read of his. Um, he's like, mm. I am ready at what? 87, 88 to, to put yeah. like quantum mechanics 
and serious. Like I learned things. If you can say you can know, understand things yeah. about quantum mechanics, applicable facts about quantum mechanics. Yes. Yeah. No. It, it Tell wrapped. me how you're integrating those into your life <laughs> outside of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, if I if I need to sound smart, I can't because I can't like sum up the way like it's it, but it's it's really interesting. I would say quantum mechanics plays a, a a parallel role in this book and in Stella Maris, maybe even more so. Um, yeah, that plays a similar role to this book that the West does to Blood Meridian, No Country, All the Pretty Horses, like. It's very clear that Cormac McCarthy has been thinking about science for mm-hmm, 16 years mm-hmm. when you read these books, right? Like he's, you know, these big ideas that he's had in the past about, about death, about morality, about apocalypse and that he's thinking big ideas about like the nature of consciousness. And I, like in my book, just to talk about like the big things he's talking about, he talks about, you know, Ian said that the, that Bobby Western and Alicia Western's father was on the Manhattan project, right? Like he, like they were friends with uh, Oppenheimer. They worked on the Manhattan Project with him. In my book, my character explicitly says the Manhattan Project is probably at least the third biggest thing that humanity has ever done after fire and the wheel. And honestly, at the end of humanity, it might might be the first. first. It it might be the first. Yeah. Probably end on that. It's weird. It's so weird. So much of so much of this book is in the shadow of the mushroom cloud. But the thing that the thing that McCarthy is doing here is trying out new stuff. So the, the New York Times review mm-hmm. um, has this quote. The passenger is far from McCarthy's finest work, but that's because he has had the nerve to push himself into new places at the age of all but 90. He has tried something in these novels that he's never done before writing normal people. This <laughs> book to me feels exciting because he's not just playing the greatest hits. He's, yeah. I don't know if this is the end of McCarthy's career. Maybe he's got another 15 years in him. 15 years from now at the age of 103, Oof. he's going to drop, oh, man, he's going to drop his, his epic high fantasy quadrilogy. <laughs> he's been I think he's going to shift to children's literature. Just oh. Oh, oh, I would love to read Cormac. Is, Ian, did you like this book? I adored it. And I adored Great. Stella Maris too. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to talk about them separately. Um, and I think I think it's yeah. it's a lot more is going to click next week um, when we talk about Joe's book Stella Maris, which takes place in Wisconsin. Stella Maris. Um, does it really? Yeah, it really does. Oh my goodness! So when you made that incest joke before, Nick, uh, it hit a little close to home. Okay, uh, <laughs> this is in Wisconsin. Um, because of the Wisconsin part, or the is there something you want to tell because us? Because of the Wisconsin part. No, it's the Wisconsin it, part. Additionally, jeez. <laughs> I feel like that could give us a leg up on getting him on the show. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, like we're just yeah, three because we're, we're from Wisconsin. Yeah, Joe? We're just three Wisconsin mm-hmm. guys. Yeah, I get it. Just three guys. Lit heads, we, you know, every once in a while, Cormac McCarthy reads, uh, releases a book and we have to talk about that. But that only happens once every like 16 years. <laughs> On most other weeks, we listen to themes suggested by you. Yeah, Cormac McCarthy, we have, as we discussed, we're uh, waiting until he's 103 years old until he releases anything else. Between now and then, we are looking for you to continue suggesting themes, continue suggesting books. Um, you know, we try coming up with themes and you just do such a better job of it. So keep them coming. Um, we read 
books that we never would when you read them. And, and honestly, it's it's a kick. Um, if you like the show, if you enjoy the show, of course, you can find us on social media. You can head on over to you don't know lit podcast.com, suggest a theme, suggest a book, request a sticky. Um, and of course, the number one thing you can always do for the show is to tell a bookish friend about it. Uh, lit heads beget more lit heads. You can also have children and instill a life of reading too. in them if you want. That's another 16 year plan for more lit heads, but um, <laughs> congratulations, Ian. Um, it was so fun hearing about this Cormac book this week. All right, I'm going to read. I told you the the um, the book begins with a climactic death, and I want to read that death. This is some classic Wisconsin um, content. So, if you're in Wisconsin right now, just sort of bask, just bask in it. It had snowed lightly in the night, and her frozen hair was gold and crystalline, and her eyes were frozen hard and cold as stones. One of her yellow boots had fallen off and stood in the snow beneath her. The shape of her coat lay dusted in the snow where she dropped it, and she wore only a white dress, and she hung among the bare gray poles of the winter trees with her head bowed, and her hands turned slightly outward like those of certain ecumenical statues whose attitude asks that their history be considered. That the deep foundation of the world be considered where it has being in the sorrow of her creatures. The hunter knelt and stogged his rifle upright in the snow beside him and took off his gloves and let them fall and folded his hands one upon the other. He thought that he should pray, but he'd no prayer for such a thing. He bowed his head. Tower of ivory, he said. House of gold. He knelt there for a long time. When he opened his eyes, he saw a small shape half buried in the snow, and he leaned and dusted away the snow and picked up a gold chain that held a steel key, a white gold ring. He slipped them into the pocket of his hunting coat. He'd heard the wind in the night, the wind's work, a trash can clattering over the bricks behind his house, the snow blowing out there in the forest in the dark. He looked up into those cold enameled eyes, glinting blue in the weak winter light. She had tied her dress with a red sash so that she'd be found, some bit of color in the scrupulous desolation. On this Christmas day, this cold and barely spoken Christmas day. Christmas day.